Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host. This here is where we talk about every aspect of authentic recovery from borderline personality disorder and emotional unhealth in general. I myself had borderline personality disorder, unaware for the first 35 years of my life, and I managed to authentically rid myself of it over the course of roughly seven years. So yes, borderline personality disorder is curable. Anybody who tells you different is not worth a second more of your time. We have a lot to talk about today, so I'm not going to dick around too awful much. Today, we're going to talk about my number one advice if you consider yourself a borderline. And we'll get into that in just a few minutes. Guess what we're not going to be talking about today? That's right. The one thing everybody's talking about today. And just so future listeners are able to figure out where in the stream of time this episode of the show was recorded, let me just say that COVID-19, better known as the coronavirus, it's all that anybody's talking about nowadays. It's the only thing in newspapers and on TV and on the radio, wherever you go, there it is, COVID-19 or coronavirus. In fact, The president of the U.S. of A. is going to address the nation here in just an hour and a half to talk about this pandemic, they're calling it now. The World Health Organization has has labeled it that now. So that's what's going on, and I'm sure a lot of you might be feeling some stress or anxiety about it. And you know, some stress and anxiety is natural. And it's good to take practical steps to ease that stress and anxiety. What are some examples of practical things that you can be doing to ease your stress and anxiety? Well, Kate Taylor said it best today in her article for Business Insider. The article is titled, and this is a mouthful, so uh, bear with me here. The article is titled, Traveling nonstop for a month gave me early exposure to coronavirus panic. Here's my advice for battling stress around the outbreak. Whoo boy, that is a mouthful of a title, ain't it? What are some of the good things Kate Taylor says in her article? So I'm going to do them here in reverse order and just mention five or six of them, and we'll back up all the way to number one, and I will reveal Kate Taylor's number one bit of advice for managing your anxiety here. 
Number six is wash your hands. I hope I'm not the only one doing more of that these days. So if you haven't gotten into the habit of washing your hands, you know, 10 times more regularly than you're used to, why don't you start that today? You'll automatically feel like your uh, situation has improved because it will have improved. (laughs) Your odds will be better. Uh, Number five, she says, stay healthy more generally. In other words, exercise, vitamins, eating right. You know, that's a that's something very practical you can do. Uh, number four, she says, prioritize your emotional health. She actually says mental health. So I've updated her words so that it expresses her intended notion accurately. Prioritize your emotional health. So if you've been following my work for very long, you should already be doing this. Your emotional health always comes first, don't it? And this may just mean taking time out for a hot bath, or it might mean getting more sleep than usual. Number three, she says, stay flexible. And no, she's not talking about playing Twister. What she means is be willing to cancel plans and things of that nature. She says, while experts have predictions, it's impossible to guess how the outbreak will impact you as an individual and others in your specific community at this point. Instead of focusing on what might come next, now remember, I have taught you, I, Brian Barnett, have taught you in the past that you have complete control over what you choose to continue thinking about, right? And about how you will choose to think about it. Kate Taylor says, instead of focusing on what might come next, it helped me to accept that I would be adapting to the change in circumstances. So Kate there is uh, offering some stellar advice, I think. Number two, she says, learn basic tips on how to keep yourself and others safe. You learn some basic, simple stuff. We would say common sense stuff, right? But maybe not common sense to everybody. But if you just learn some basic tips on how to keep yourself and others safe, that's going to bring your anxiety down a a whole lot. Now, here's the one I've been uh, trying to get us to. Number one, and this is really what I want to stress and emphasize. She says, do not go overboard on news consumption. She says, while it's good to know how to keep yourself safe, I also found it helpful to avoid going overboard on reading about every single case of coronavirus. Reading about the rise of cases in other countries only fed my fears. Some people may feel better reading every possible story about coronavirus, but in my case, and I suspect others' cases, it can be helpful to impose a limit on how much news you're reading and watching about the outbreak. I found that advice to be pretty spectacular and wise. You know, often we're guilty of freaking ourselves out, aren't we? But remember, nobody can make you watch a news program or read article upon article upon article about a thing that's only stressing you out and that you can do nothing about. Nobody can make you do that except for you, right? So if you're reading and just feeding yourself 
feeding all your fears with all this stuff. Who is to blame for that? Isn't it you? You can turn the channel. You can flip to a different article and read about something else. So, focus on the things you can do and the things you do have control over. And if you're doing that, you don't need to overly feed your imagination with things that you do not have control over. Okay, so... I said we weren't going to talk about COVID-19, and we did it anyway. But, you know, we kept it short, practical, optimistic, and informative. Now, I do have to encourage you to visit thelastsymptom.com. That is my website full growing free resources, so be sure to take advantage of that. Also, there are some paid services. If you'd like to have a one-on-one conversation with me to figure some things out in your own circumstances, whatever they might be, you can schedule a conversation with me right from thelastsymptom.com. And you know, while I'm mentioning that, I should tell you that every once in a while, I get an email from somebody who says, this is my story, this is what's going on with me, this is my life, and should I schedule an appointment with you? Folks, I don't have time to reply to those types of emails. And I won't reply to those types of emails. I appreciate that you reached out to me. But if you're asking yourself if you should schedule an appointment with me, or if your circumstances are something that you could gain some insight on by scheduling an appointment with me, there's your answer. The answer is yes. Also, I get emails from people who say, hey, um, I'm thinking about scheduling an appointment with you, but can you answer these questions for me? No, I'm not going to reply to that message because you're trying to get aware, you're trying to get around the arrangement I have in place for you to have that conversation with me, right? Those conversations support this work. They allow me to continue doing what I'm doing. So please, if <laughs> if you're asking me if you should make an appointment with me, when you know how to make an appointment with me right from thelastsymptom.com and we can have the the conversation that you're writing me about, I'm not going to reply to that message, all right, because I don't have time, and I say that in as friendly a way as I can. I don't have time. There are many people constantly reaching out to me. The ones I give priority to are the ones who support my work because then that allows me to, to help other people. It allows me to keep doing this right? And, you know, I don't want to put a hair in anybody's biscuit, but I think, I think that needed to be said. All right. Last thing I'm going to bring up before we get into today's topic is this. Two and a half to three years ago, when the last symptom was just getting off the ground, it wasn't even called the last symptom yet. And no, it wasn't even called the last symptom of borderline personality disorder yet. It wasn't called anything. It was called Brian Barnett, The Brian Barnett Show. I created a YouTube channel, and it quickly skyrocketed past 500 subscribers. But I soon realized there was a problem. With this type of growth and demand, I couldn't have my work operating with different titles and identities across platforms. So I very reluctantly created a brand new YouTube channel, And I discontinued the old channel. Folks who have been following my work for a while will remember that at that time, I predicted that I was going to take a serious hit as far as my number of YouTube subscribers went. 
that I was going to lose hundreds of subscribers that I wouldn't regain. My momentum would suffer, and it might take a while for me to regain that number of subscribers again. It was a painful decision to make. But with long-term growth in mind, I knew I had no other choice but to do it anyway. So, that was when I created The Last Symptom Identity, and I began creating all my work under the umbrella of that identity. Well, I just want to thank all of you who have helped the official YouTube channel again reach 500 subscribers. This happened just within this past week, and it took well over a year to reach this milestone once again. This means it's time to shut it down and start the channel over from scratch again. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I learned my lesson enough the first time. The current YouTube channel is here to stay for a while. But again, I just wanted to give a big thank you to all who are subscribed to The Last Symptom official YouTube channel and those who have helped it meet the 500 subscriber mark once again. If you aren't subscribed to the YouTube channel but would like to subscribe, the link to do so is at thelastsymptom.com. You can find links for everything there. You can also just search for The Last Symptom within YouTube. Can't miss it. An orange is there and it even says the last symptom. So you, you can't go wrong. So I'd encourage you to do that. Please, please subscribe to the, the YouTube channel. <laughs> I keep saying one last thing and then we'll get into today's topic. Really, one last thing. As you probably know, my work is greatly supported by donations through thelastsymptom.com. I appreciate so much those donations. I also recognize that not everybody's in a position where they can offer a monetary donation. But many of you might still feel a desire to support this work in some way. How can you do that? Well, by subscribing to the channels, by pressing like. You can do it by sharing the content. These are all ways that you can show your appreciation for the work that I do. You know, it doesn't take too much energy or time to do it, but I appreciate it greatly. And it goes a long way in helping the last symptom grow and um, in helping other people discover, discover the content. So if uh, you've felt for a while that you would like to make a donation to The Last Symptom, but you haven't been able to do that, just remember that there are other ways that you can show your appreciation and that I appreciate that support very, very much. If you can just hit like, hit subscribe, pass it on to your friends, tell people you work with, about it. You know, they, they might benefit greatly from this information as well. Alrighty, let's get into today's topic. My number one advice, if you consider yourself a borderline. Here is my number one bit of advice. Are you ready? It's going to surprise you. My number one bit of advice is to stop considering yourself a borderline. Did you hear me correctly? I say my first bit of advice is that you stop considering yourself a borderline. Stop referring to yourself as a BPD and as a borderline and as a PWBPD. You don't understand how destructive this one thing is to your recovery. It's enormously destructive. 
As human beings, we unconsciously or subconsciously understand that we can never be anything other than what we just are. Whatever you are, that's what you are. A bird is never going to not be a bird. You can pluck off all of its feathers and dress it up like Charlie Chaplin, and guess what? It's still a bird. It's just now a cold bird (laughs) dressed like Charlie Chaplin. You see what I'm getting at here? When you refer to yourself as a BPD or as a PWBPD or as a borderline, what you are doing is reinforcing a false perception that you've already lived with for your entire life. That is, that borderline personality disorder involves inherent aspects of yourself. It doesn't. Borderline personality disorder is an emotional disorder that originates from false perceptions people have about the inherent nature of their feelings, the inherent nature of themselves as people, and by extension, the way they perceive the inherent nature of all people and feelings, and also the inherent nature of various aspects of life. Perceptions, perceptions are something we learn. They're not a natural, inherent part of what makes us, us. Therefore, in real life, there is no distinct classification of people who are borderlines. There are simply regular people operating with misperceptions. That might be worth writing down and thinking about. There are no such thing as borderlines. There are simply regular people operating with misperceptions. Misperceptions about the inherent nature of feelings, self, and life. Yes, borderline personality disorder really is that simple. So you are a person and you have a disorder called borderline personality. You yourself are not a borderline, as if psychologists have discovered some new race of human being. Now, the more you think about this, it should dawn on you that you're not trying to change who you are. Rather, your job here, the task before you, is to identify and correct false perceptions you are living with. Now, doesn't that sound infinitely easier than a bird trying to not be a bird? Maybe you think I'm splitting hairs here, but I'm not. Remember, I myself had borderline personality disorder unaware until I was 35. After roughly seven years, I managed to rid myself of the disorder authentically and permanently. Except for some of its symptoms. I I grant you, some of the symptoms are very loud and in your face and obnoxious and, and hard to ignore. But except for some of these symptoms, the entire disorder itself is built upon extreme 
subtleties. The underlying cause is subtle. The way our parents communicate the messages that cause us to develop borderline personality disorder in the first place is extremely subtle. The misperceptions we carry around with us that create so much chaos in life are extremely subtle. If none of these aspects of the disorder were subtle, everybody would be walking around cured. But that's not the case, is it? The disorder originates, thrives, and is difficult to escape because it involves things of an extremely subtle nature. So, I am not splitting hairs. Instead, what I'm trying to do is help you make an extremely important adjustment here to your perceptions of what it is you are dealing with so that you can get started building a proper foundation for authentic recovery. You see, if you don't get started right, if you don't set the right foundation from the get-go, then you're pointed in the wrong direction from the very start. You've got to start with yourself pointed in the right direction. And the way you do this is to understand accurately what it is you're dealing with and what it is you're trying to do accurately. Now, I'd like you to think about the following truth, which is related to the truth I've already shared with you. As human beings, we are incapable of generating any sort of true motivation for any effort that we secretly perceive is ultimately a total waste of time. Now, notice that I'm not saying that we're simply unable to generate true motivation in this situation. I'm saying that as people, we are incapable of generating true motivation toward any effort that we secretly perceive is pointless. Incapable means you couldn't do it even if you wanted. True motivation means that you're motivated from an authentic sense of personal desire, which you're generating from within yourself. And this sort of motivation has accomplished things that many would have thought was impossible. Now, imagine a coach, and he's trying to motivate his team to go out onto the field and give it their all, to play to win. But all the members of this team, imagine them there, sitting there, secretly believing that they're playing an unwinnable game. Can you imagine that? The coach is doing everything he can to pump them up, to excite them and motivate them and get them out there to throw their all into it. But the team believes they're playing an unwinnable game. No matter what the coach says or does, it's all for nothing. As long as the team believes they're being asked to do something that they secretly believe is impossible. Do you see that? No matter what, as long as this is their secret belief, the team is incapable of tapping into the genuine motivation needed to go out there and truly put their whole heart into the effort. So, what the coach has to do first is convince his players, right, that the game is in fact winnable. 
you know, they still might not win the game, but they at least go out there knowing that the possibility of winning exists. Now, once the members of the team no longer believe they're engaged in a pointless effort, the obstruction to experience and genuine motivation is lifted and they can tap into their full, personal, genuine desires to give it their all. Why am I telling you this? Well, let's go back to the wording. I am a borderline or I am a BPD. Do you remember that there's nothing a bird can do to not be a bird. So as long as you falsely perceive even a little bit that borderline personality disorder is what you are rather than a disorder you have, you're that bird. You're incapable of generating any true, genuine motivation to fix what you perceive is unfixable. You see that? You're, you're always going to be a bird. I'm a borderline. Well, if that's what you are, that's what you always are going to be. When you walk around with this subtle perspective, you may give it a good try. You may give recovery a good try, but you will eventually burn out. You'll give up. You'll lose interest. Because you're always going to be you. You know this. And nothing will ever change what and who you just are. But you can change what you have, right? And you can change things you've learned incorrectly, right? Your perspectives, your perceptions. These things can be changed. That is the task before you, not changing who and what you are. When you understand that borderline personality disorder is not an inherent part of you, you know, it's not like your eye collar that you were born with, or your race, or your height, or the sound of your voice. It's instead separate from you. And once you, you realize this for real, You've removed the obstacle that subtly prevents you from tapping into genuine motivation to work to fix the problem for real. Which, what is the problem for real? The problem is your misperceptions about feelings, self, and life. So reject any source of information that refers to people with borderline personality disorder as borderlines and related terms that equate the disorder people are living with to who they inherently are as people, if those sources of information cannot even get this part right, the foundation of your recovery, then they're going to lead you astray in much more dramatic ways in other areas of recovery. So there is my number one piece of advice for anybody who considers themselves a borderline. I was just thinking of everybody and kind of thinking about what kind of circumstances y'all might be in, the anxieties that you might be dealing with, or the complete lack of anxiety you might be dealing with. And I thought I'd just hop in and entertain you a little bit and get your mind off things. First of all, if you're somebody 
who is being directly affected by this uh, COVID-19 virus. I just want to say that uh, you're on my thoughts. I'm sorry that you're dealing with that, and I hope that you recover real soon. If it's uh, somebody close to you, maybe an older family member that's dealing with this thing, I just, uh, I just can't imagine the stress that you're dealing with. And I hope that that family member comes out just fine. You know, when we're all watching the news and hearing these things in the news, we sometimes forget that the people that we're hearing are being affected are real people with real families. And some of those people being really affected with real families might be some of my listeners. So uh, I'm thinking about you. Hang in there. Get better soon. We all want you back on your feet and back in the game as soon as you can be. So be good to yourself and uh, don't overdo anything. For the rest of y'all who are just hearing about this in the news and you haven't yet been directly affected by this, what is my practical advice in the face of all this for you? My advice is a few things. First, whatever you do, don't join in with all of the scoffers. You know what scoffing is, don't you? Scoffing is laughing uh, incredulously at something. Oh, yeah, right, yeah, right. Could never happen to me. So my advice is to not join in with all the scoffers, those people who are scoffing and saying that this is no worse than influenza or the flu. So don't be suckered into complacency by those who are trying to ease their own anxieties by telling you that there's absolutely nothing to worry about. But also, on the flip side of the coin, the last thing you want to do is join in with the doomsday crowd. Anybody talking about only worst-case scenarios and trying to paint a picture of a post-apocalyptic world. Both of these two groups of people are both suffering from the same problem. And do you know what that problem is? Extremism. And extremism is not your friend. Instead, there's a sweet spot. Yeah, a sweet spot right in the middle somewhere where we'll see the truth eventually play out. And that sweet spot is called balance and reasonableness. What do I mean? Well, I mean the same thing I said in this past Thursday's episode of this podcast. Make sure you're doing the practical things that you're capable of doing. And if you're doing this, don't sweat the things that are out of your control. How can I say, don't sweat the things that are out of your control when there are so many uncertainties with this thing still? I can say it because it's a basic principle of emotional health. That is, not obsessing about what we have no control over once we are addressing the things we do have control over. See if we're addressing the things we do have control over. For example, washing our hands frequently, buying and having a bag of rice or you know some canned foods in the cupboard, maybe a bag of taters cleaning off regularly used surfaces, social distancing as far as, you know, physical approximation and contact with others goes, 
keeping ourselves reasonably informed, and I don't mean like binge-watching the news, I just mean keeping on top of the latest details and information coming out. When we're doing this, we can be satisfied that whatever role we have in the situation, we are fulfilling that role. And when we do that, that brings us calm. The parts we have no control over is the weather, ain't it? And we have no control over the weather. Does it ever make sense to pace around trying to control things we have no control over with our feelings and our willpower? Do you know what you're doing when you're walking around allowing your feelings to get caught up in the uncertainties of what you're imagining could happen in the future? It, it's a waste of that energy. It's like a big jumbo jet that has so much fuel, but as it's flying, it's losing 75% of its fuel just just seeping out into the air. You know, it's, it's not fueling the airplane at all. It's just being entirely wasted. So our emotions really are our energy and our attention. Where do our feelings come from? They come from our thoughts. So we can control what we choose to continue thinking about, as I mentioned in, in this previous episode of this podcast. But I think one thing we can all agree on is that it doesn't make sense to uh, waste our emotion and energy on something that we have zero control or, or power over. So like the weather, we have to wait and see what it's really going to do, which is often the opposite, right, <laughs> of whatever the weatherman says. And then we make choices for ourselves based on the reality of what the weather simply does, which is entirely out of our control. We get an umbrella. We put on a rain jacket and pants. We stay inside. Whatever it is, we have tons of power and control, but only over anything that involves ourselves and our choices and our actions for the most part. For those things that we don't have power and control over, let, let's not waste our energy, emotion, and time on that because it really is a very inefficient and poor use of our energy. Now, it is smart to take the practical steps that you can take to protect yourself and your loved ones and your neighbors. So do that. And if you are doing that, relax a little bit and do something nice for yourself. Listen to some music or better yet, create some music. Paint, read some poetry, turn off the news and make some plans for something you'd like to do once this thing passes and life returns to normal. Me, my hobby happens to be something that fits right in with pandemics, <laughs> so I don't have to wait. I'm supposed to go on a fairly long wilderness backpacking trip here in the next few weeks, unless the government restricts interstate travel here within the United States, which they're talking about doing. And if they do that, then I'll just go into the wilderness somewhere closer to where I live, or maybe I'll even stay home. The secret is to be adaptable. We will get through this. Just remember, take a breath, relax, think about the practical things you can be doing, and do them. The things that are out of your control 
don't dwell on that. Don't give too much credence to the hyenas and the scoffers. You know, the people trying to soothe their own secret anxieties by trying to convince everybody else that there's nothing to worry about. And also, don't listen to anybody trying to paint a picture of this bringing down societies and collapsing governments and all that. Remember, there's a sweet spot in the middle, and that's where we all want to be. That's, that's where we're going to find the truth. Well, folks, it's been a while since I shared any poetry with you. I haven't done that, I don't think, since the first season. So I jotted down a few poems that I like, and I thought I'd share them with you. And maybe this will change the tone of your day. The first one I'd like to read to you is from Edwin Arlington Robinson, 1869 to 1935. And this is a beautiful poem. It's called Golden Wheat Shafts. Golden wheat shafts, where long the shadows of the wind had rolled. Green wheat was yielding to the change assigned. And as by some vast magic undivined, the world was turning slowly into gold. Edward Arlington Robinson, 1869 and 1935. The next one is a sexy poem. Oh, you're going to like this, especially if you're a sensual, sexy person, you're going to like this. This is called Animals by Frank O'Hara, 1950. Have you forgotten what we were like then, when we were still first rate, and the day came fat with an apple in its mouth? It's no use worrying about time, but we did have a few tricks up our sleeves and turned some sharp corners. The whole pasture looked like our meal. We didn't need speedometers. We could manage cocktails out of ice and water. I wouldn't want to be faster or greener than now if you were with me. Oh, you were the best of all my days. Animals. Frank O'Hare, 1950. And finally, W.B. Yeats, 1865 to 1939. The Lake Isle of Innisfree. I will arise and go now and go to Innisfree and a small cabin build there of clay and wattles made. Nine bean rows will I have there, a hive for the honey bee, and live alone in the bee-loud glade. And I shall have some peace there, for peace comes dropping slow, dropping from the veils of the morning to where the cricket sings, where midnight's all a glimmer and noon a purple glow and evening full of the linnet's wings. I will arise and go now, for always night and day, I hear lake water lapping with low sounds by the shore, while I stand on the roadway or on the pavement's gray, I hear it in the deep heart's core. The Lake Isle of Innisfree, W.B. Yeats, 1865-1939. Hang in there. We'll get through this. For those of you who are uh, dealing with this directly, well, I just want you to know that, uh, you know, you're not an abstract story on the news or a statistic to me. You're a real person to me, and I'm hoping the best for you and for all your loved ones. 
But hang tight, hang tough, and we hope to see you on the other side healthy and back on your feet very soon. We've reached the part of the show that I like to call the encouraging finale. My four-year-old daughter has inherited an iPhone that I no longer use. One thing that she's really come to enjoy using is Siri, the voice-activated assistant that is available on iPhones. She can say things like, Siri, send a message to Granny. And Siri comes on and says, what would you like the message to say? Then she can just tell Siri, and Siri transcribes it and sends the message. Remember, she's not old enough to read or write yet, so this is pretty cool stuff. Well, the other day, it was a nice spring day here, after several weeks of grayness and rain. I said to Eloise, if you get dressed, I'll take you to the park. Oh boy, she just thought that was great. I watched her moving around, putting different clothes on, but then there was a little problem. Maybe she remembered where her other shoe was. No, she got out her phone and very earnestly and innocently said, Hey Siri, where is my other shoe? <laughs> oh, the innocence of children is a beautiful thing to observe. 